Good to be here with you guys. Um, always love coming and visiting Mercy Hill and just uh, just the vibe here, the 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 kind of the community you guys have, the way you care for each other, is is always really encouraging. And uh, I just want to say, good job being here. Uh, it's 49ers Sunday. It's a playoff game, and uh, I'm a big Niners fan. So uh, you know, I had a little conversation with God about uh, I better get some treasure in heaven for for this one. And then I think after I said that, I lost it, whatever treasure I would have gotten. Um, so don't make that mistake. Uh, but actually, I am really excited to be here. I mean, partially because um, I'm just happy to be able to help Steve out. And uh, ever since I came here five years ago, just his life and ministry has really encouraged me and uh, still continues to encourage me from a distance. And uh, him and his wife have been big, have had a huge influence on me and Jamie, my wife. Uh, so, yeah, if you look on my Twitter feed, a lot of my favorites are something Steve said or something. And uh, you guys on Twitter, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I work with college students, so i got to stay up on all that stuff. I'm all over Instagram, too. Uh, so, um, and the other reason I'm excited to, to be here is because, like Steve said, I do have... Um, this this message and this passage that's been burning in me for a while. Um, God kind of confronted me with it about five years ago. I was studying it, and uh, he just kind of gripped me with it, and I've never stopped thinking about it. I think part of the reason is because I work with, with young people. I work with, with college-age kids, and this is a story about a young man who comes to Jesus, and he's in crisis, and there is something wrong with him, and Jesus gives him an answer. And so I thought, I need to know, what, I need to get deep in this to, to help young people who are in crisis. But he's not only young, but we learn that he's also rich, and he's a ruler. And so, you know, I think that's very relevant for us in America. Because think of who are our heroes, especially here in the Silicon Valley. Guys like Justin Timberlake, Mark Zuckerberg, guys who follow their dreams and hit it big, and we live in a country of plentiful, of, of wealth, of, uh, and, and, uh, and so we want to be this guy. This guy is rich, he's young, he's got power and influence, but there's something wrong with him. There's something he's upset about. But not only that, we learn, unlike maybe Justin Timberlake and Mark Zuckerberg, as far as I know, this guy in this story is very religious. He, he's a rule follower. He believes in the Bible. And so with all that, there's something that is lacking in his life, and he's in crisis. And so I want to look at, look at this passage. You can turn there. It's in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16. I want to look at it because I want to understand what does it mean to really be fulfilled in this life, because he has everything that we would think would lead to fulfillment, and yet... He's not, he's not experiencing that. So turn to, to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. We're gonna, I'm gonna teach from this passage, but I'm actually gonna draw from the, the three different gospels that tell this story. Um, and what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna make five observations about this passage and some corresponding application. So here we go, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your fa father and, and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept... What do I still lack? 
Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So the Gospels all taken together um, tell us that this guy is rich, and he's young, and he's a ruler. He's also very religious, right? We see, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. And so here's my first observation, is that he is bothered by one of life's big questions. So even though he has everything this earth has to offer, there is a big question that is bothering him, and, and we see it right away. He says, what... Uh, he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, the English form is, uh, is what you see in the text, but when you uh, look at the Greek word for eternal, it, mean, it literally means everlasting, but, but what I learned is that in context coming from a Jewish man, what he's really asking is, what must I do to live a life that belongs to God? I like the way D.A. Carson summarized it. How can I live a life that God approves of? That's, that's what he's coming to Jesus with. How can I live a life that God approves of? And the fact that he doesn't know the answer to that question is eating him up. Um, now, the reason I think he's really bothered is a couple reasons. Right? First of all, when you look at, at Luke's version, we see that he actually ran up to Jesus and knelt before him. Um, and so that's a pretty extreme measure to take, especially someone of wealth and status coming to a kind of a, a humble rabbi, running and kneeling before him. This guy has something that's on his mind that he wants answered. He's going to run in before all the crowd. He's going to get his question answered. The other reason why I think he's bothered is, is we see that, that when Jesus gives him some answers, he's like, wait a minute, I'm doing those things. What am I lacking? He didn't say, I'm doing those things. Okay, I got it. I'm good. No, he knows there's something wrong with him. What am I lacking? And lastly, we learn that when he gets an answer he doesn't like, he walks away sorrowful. So this was not just curiosity for him. He was really hoping that Jesus would have the answer for him. And when he got an answer he didn't like, he was really bummed out. So here's what I find extremely relevant for us is even though he has all that life has to, has to offer, because he doesn't know the answer to the God question, the big question, what does God think of me? He's unhappy. He's, I would say he's miserable, maybe even desperate. And so deep in his heart, he can't enjoy what he has on earth because he feels lost in the face of eternity. Do you guys hear that? You can't enjoy what you have in this life the joy that you will, you will experience an erosion of your joy unless you answer, you can answer questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? What happens after I die? And ultimately, more deeply, what does God think of me? Not being able to answer those questions will leave us experiencing a deeper and deeper dissatisfaction with life, unfulfillment. Jamie and I, uh, we like to play this game called Would You Rather? It's a game where you, you compare two things to, to highlight your values. It's a fun game to play. And we said, one, one time we were like, would you rather drive across the country and live your life, you know, when you retire on a, on a motorhome and drive everywhere? Or would you rather buy a nice sailboat and, and sail across the oceans? And Jamie and I being, you know, uh, Jamie and I, we, de- we decided we'd want to be on a sailboat. And, uh, but you know what would really be terrible? 
is if you if you get on that sailboat, and let's say you get the best sailboat out there, I mean the biggest one, all the bells and whistles, fully stocked, fully equipped, awesome little cabins that you can sleep in, which by the way, I've always wanted to see one of those, you know, sleeping in a cabin in a sailboat, I've never seen that. But wouldn't that be, but you know what would be terrible? Is if we got on that sailboat, and we had no map, and no rudder. Because what would happen? We'd just be stuck on this boat, drifting on the sea, not knowing where we're going, not knowing where we are, and eventually we'd begin to hate that sailboat. It would be torture because we're just drifting at sea. And that's what life is like. We can't experience deep fulfillment in this life if we don't answer the big questions. We'll just feel lost at sea. I think that's what's going on with this rich young ruler. He's got his life together, but without those, that big question in place, he's, he's miserable. Observation number two. He has a wrong understanding of humanity. His question is, um, how can I live a life that belongs to God? Notice what he sticks in there. He has an assumption. What good thing must I do to earn God's approval? And so he thinks it means that he's got to do something good, and we, we know that's wrong. He thinks that eternal life has to be earned somehow. We shouldn't be surprised, therefore, that he's uncertain about his standing before God. He thinks it has to be earned. Um, and we know this is a big problem because of Jesus' response. If you guys, the way this text flows, if Jesus kind of jumps on him here, it's not even the main issue, but Jesus immediately jumps on it. This is a button issue for Jesus. Do you guys have button issues? Do you guys have things that like as soon as they're said or done, it like bugs you, you just got to like deal with it? This is one of those things for Jesus. The idea that we can be good and so Jesus immediately confronts him. And he says, why are you talking to me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Now, this probably knocked him off balance a little bit. His whole life system, in one fell swoop, got cut off at the knees. And he, I mean, I'm not sure how he handled it. He's like, wait, what? Wait, come again? Only, only one who is good? And so, this knocks him off balance. And I think it, knocks, it needs to knock us off balance a little bit, too. We need to hear this. It amazes me that people think two things. Number one, when you talk to people about God, they think that their chances of meeting God and, and, and wondering what he's going to say about them is in their favor. They think that, I, I think if, if I were to stand before God, I, I would make it. I think I've done enough good things. That amazes me that they think they're, they're good enough to stand before God. But number two is how many people are okay with not being sure. They're like, well, I, I'll make it, but we can't know until we get there, right? They're asleep about it. But here's the thing. Right away, Jesus tells us the verdict is in about us. And it's not good. And so we need to hear this verdict. There is only one who is good, and it's not you. And it's not me. And now that's good news because, first of all, I think it means we can stop pretending. We stop trying to put on this facade that we're good because we know that we're not so one, one, I, have a, I have a friend, one of the things I love about him is as soon as we get on the phone, he's always telling me about things that are hard in his life. He's, he's willing to admit the brokenness in his life. And there's something refreshing about that. But there's something exhausting about trying to pretend like everything's good when it's not. Um, and so I know a lot of you Christians out there, you know this. You know the right theology. You know that you're a sinner. But let me ask you this. You can profess that you're a sinner, but do you confess your actual sin? Are you defensive when people confront you? When was the last time 
you apologize deeply and meaningfully to somebody. See, my, my guess is probably a lot of us know in our heads that we're, that we're sinners, but we're trying to live life like we got it all together and we're defensive. You know what amazed me when I got married to Jamie? It was how often we had to apologize to each other. It was, it was crazy how many things I could do in a selfish way. How many things that I could do in a greedy, self-absorbed way. And the only way that our marriage could work at all was we had to constantly be apologizing to each other. In fact, it got so hard that Jamie one time just broke down crying and she had what we call affectionately in our family as the I suck moment. Where she just realized, she just said, Paul, I suck at this. And she just cried. But you know what? Our marriage got a lot more tender after that. Because she just, the, the, the mask went down. The facade dropped. No one is good. Only one who is good. And Jamie realized, it's not me. I suck. And so I think you guys, even though you know in your head that you are sinners, you need to have a real I suck moment. Where you're just broken about the fact that you are blowing it. So Jesus immediately says to him, cuts him off at the pass. Wait a minute. There is only one who is good. It's not you. Observation number three. The only way to live a fulfilled life is to live it God's way. So Jesus says to him, okay, here's what you need to do. You want to know how to live the the right life? First of all, he says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. The commandments are referring to the Ten Commandments. They're they're, um, the summary of of what God says to us about how we need to live. And there's a, there's a lot we could say about that, um, you know, what Jesus is getting at. I'm going to talk more about that as the message goes on. But we know it, it's at least saying this. If you want to have life, you got to do it God's way. And, and, and notice that Jesus drops the word eternal. Did you, did you guys notice that? The young ruler says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, Jesus says, if you would have life. You see, to Jesus, there's only two kinds of life. Either you're living for God or you're dead. If you want to be alive, it's, it's living for God. That's the only way to be alive. Otherwise, you're just dead. There's no like, you have life, you have eternal life, or you're not alive. It's, you could be alive but be dead to Jesus. And that's if you're trying to do things your own way. So let me talk to the rebels in the room first on this one. The ones who like to live on their own steam. The ones who want to do their own thing. The ones who don't want rules on them at all. They want to be free, Okay. And I, I want to I want to share an analogy that I found helpful to help us see that this idea of freedom is really not what we think it is. Um, when I read this, it just made a lot of sense. I want you guys to think of a fish, okay? When a fish, when you see a fish in the ocean, would you say that that fish is under oppressive bondage? No, you'd say the fish is free. Look at it it's swimming around; it's doing what it was meant to do. But in reality, it's still adhering to a very strict set of rules. It has gills. So it can only breathe water. It can only have, uh, it can only process oxygen through, through water. It has fins and scales that, that are, are, are designed perfectly for, for the water. But what happens when you take that fish out of water and you introduce a new set of rules to that fish? You guys ever been fishing? What happens to that fish when you get it out of the water? It dies an ugly death, let me tell you. It slowly starts to like suck its mouth together. Its scales start to fall off. It's nasty. Um, 
But, but what God's saying, what Jesus is saying to us is that that's what, that's what's true for us. Listen to how, how Tim Keller says it. Um, he puts it like this. Freedom isn't the absence of rules. It's finding the right set of rules, the ones you were created for that set you free. And so I want, I want you, uh, oops, I want you rebels to hear that. That's kind of your mentality. Jesus is saying, it's not about avoiding rules, it's finding the right set of rules, the ones you were made for. And Jesus is saying, you were made for God. That's when you will thrive, is when you are living for the set of rules that, that God that God designed for you. And if you start to live your own life and do your own thing and live by another set of rules, you will die a slow death, just like that fish. Now let me talk to the rule keepers in the room. Let me, let me talk to the people who, who want to obey God. Look at what, it, look what the, this rich young ruler says. This needs, to, this needs to, you need to hear this a little bit. He says, I've done all these things. Ever since I was a kid, I've been a good kid. What am I lacking? This rule keeping isn't enough either. Living a good moral life according to the Bible isn't enough either. And so hear me, I'm not contradicting myself. See, a lot of people think Christianity is about just following a set of rules. And I would say this, it's, I'm not, it's, it's not uh, less than that. Being a Christian is about obeying God. It is about being transformed so that we're more Christ-like. But it's about much more than that. There is a deeper identity that a Christian has than a rule keeper. But it's not less than that. But it definitely is more. And so this guy has money, has, his, has health, he's got, uh, he's got power and influence, he's got good morals, he's a good, he's, people like him. He's good to his neighbors, but it's not working for him. He's, he's, he's in crisis. Now the one thing we need to see, though, is that this young man, one thing I think we can learn from him is that he's honest. He comes to Jesus and he's honest about his crisis of faith. I love that he says that. What am I lacking? And I think, I think what we can learn from that is, is that we need to be honest about our crisis of faith. In fact, I would say more Christians need to have a crisis of faith. Because you're just going through the motions, but you know inside you're miserable. You know you're missing something. You know you're not getting it. And I want you guys to see that Jesus wants your crisis of faith. He wants you to bring it to him. Well, I love it. I love the way this is written in Mark. Because after the young man says, what am I lacking? And before Jesus gives his answer, Mark observes that Jesus looked at that man and loved him. That's all it says. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And so, you guys hear that? This young man walked away from Jesus. Jesus knew that was going to happen. Knew that he was in love and, and living for something else other than him. But he still looked at him and loved him. So no matter what crisis you are going through, whether it's a crisis of faith and doubt, whether it's a crisis of sin and temptation, no matter what it is, you can bring it to Jesus and he will look at you and he will love you. So some of you need to be honest about the crisis of faith that you're in. Just like this young man was. Fourth observation. This young man's problem wasn't what he did, but what he loved. His problem wasn't his behavior. 
His problem was what was number one in his heart. You see, Jesus, when he confronted this man and said, you got to keep the commandments, he did something a little tricky. He only included the bottom uh, four or five commandments, which are all the love your neighbor commandments, but what did he leave out? He left out the top commandments. Those are summed up as what? Love your God commandments. And so Jesus knew that that was his problem, but he couldn't just go to him and say, uh, you need to love God as number one. That's hard to discern. Um, and so Jesus is going to help him do an inventory of his heart. And guys, this is, this is why I wanted to preach this passage right here. This is what fires me up about what's going on in this passage is because it is easy for us to do an inventory of our behavior. It's easy for us to kind of clean up our act a little bit and make it look like we are doing the right things. But you know what's scary and hard is to do an inventory of our heart. Is to ask that question is what has the primary place in my heart? Where do I give my number one allegiance to when the rubber hits the road? And you see, Jesus knew that this guy, his deepest sense of identity and fulfillment and security was not in God. It was in his possessions. That's what was killing him. Jesus is telling us, you were meant to live for God, but this guy was living for his possessions, even though he had it all together, even though he was obedient. And so that's the question that I want to pose to you guys, is where do you find your deepest identity? What do you love more than God? What gets your allegiance before Jesus? Because whatever that is, it's the poison in your life that's killing you. It's the poison that's killing you even though you're going to church and reading your Bible, maybe. Even though you have all the money in the house that you've wanted. That's what's killing you. So do you know how you can tell, though? That's the big thing. How, do you, how can you tell what it is? And I, I, think, um, I think it's not that hard, actually. Number one, number, number one way to tell is, first of all, whatever it is, it's going to make you miserable. Whatever it is, it's going to be eating you up. And you're going to know it. It's funny, I saw a, uh, a documentary on this rich couple in America that was going to build the biggest house in, in, in America. And, and, and the dad, the owner, he makes an interesting point how he knew that his problem was that he just worked too much. He knew it. And he's not even a Christian. He knew his problem was he couldn't stop working. He was in love with work. And so I think... It's not hard to tell what it is. It's, it's going to be obvious, but we have even more comfort and we have even more assurances that Jesus knows what your idol is. Jesus knew what this young man's problem was. He knew exactly what it was. And you know what? He went after it. In unequivocal terms, you need to give up your possessions and follow me. And so guys, if you are following Christ, Jesus will go after your idol. He will make it clear to you and you will have to make a decision. It will be clear to you that there's something in your life that is, has too much prominence and it needs to go. Otherwise, you, you can't keep following Jesus and you will not be experiencing being alive to God. Wait, he will go after. And let me, let me give you a couple examples. First of all, for me, this, this has happened a few times in my life uh, of something of this magnitude that, was, that I had to give up. One was when I first became a Christian. I... Uh, I, I, I like this girl, and she wasn't a Christian. Now, I knew enough to know that was a bad idea, but I ignored it. And so we began to date, and I thought, I'll be strong. I'll, I'll probably convert her. Didn't happen. 
she converted me and, and not long after we started dating, we began to sleep together. And I was comfortable with that for about six months. I was just doing my thing. But then because Jesus loves me and because he came after me through a sermon and through my friends, it became clear to me that this was wrong, very wrong. In fact, it wasn't just about me needing to be pure before God. I knew, and God made it clear to me through the, through the Holy Spirit, that what was really at stake was, Paul, are you going to follow me or her? Are you going to do what you want to do, or are you going to follow me? And it was a test. And it was about me giving up what was number one in my life, and that was her. That was my relationship with her and all that I got out of it. And so I had to... I had to break up with her. And by the grace of God, I did. But it was clear to me, I couldn't have both. Do you see that here? Jesus doesn't say, hey, you can keep your money, but you got to follow me. you got to give it up, what's number one, and follow me. I'll give you another example. A good friend of mine from, from Garden City was telling me how he, he went through this, this same thing. He, he works for a really large tech company in, here in, in Silicon Valley. And he, uh, after a while and after getting married, not long after that, became convinced that he was overworking. He was just convinced that he was not being faithful to his call to be a husband, to be a member of his church, to be in relationship with God because of how much he was working, how much energy that was draining him. I'm not going to go into details about how many hours he was working. I don't want to be legalistic, but he knew from the Lord that he could not keep going and be obedience to God. And so he went to his boss and he said to him, I am only going to work these many hours a week and not more. And I'm going to leave the office at this time every day. Now, the boss was not happy about that, but luckily he didn't lose his job. But he did lose his status in the office a little bit. He's an engineer. He wasn't put on as many projects as he could have been. And so... Um, that cost him something. And what I want you guys to see from these two stories is what Jesus is going to call you to give up is first of all, it's going to be tangible. It's going to be something that you're going to have to actually make a decision on that's going to change your life. And number two, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be very, very hard. That's how you know it's real. I think too many of us have repented of maybe small things, if we've repented at all. But I'm, I'm, I am concerned that too many of us in the, in the church, we have not, we do not repent of hard things in our life. That's what an idol is. It's something that has gotten a hold of your heart. And do you think that's going to go quietly and easily? It's going to be hard. I want you to ask yourself, when was the last time you gave up something really hard and difficult for Jesus that you really wanted, but you knew was not was not being obedient to the Lord. When was the last time that happened? And you know what? You know what scares me is I want you guys to think about this. Do you think you that God will not call you to give up something extremely difficult like this rich young ruler? Do you think you were you were beyond this? I don't. I don't think so. Is God going to call you to give up all your money? I don't know, but He could. He could. I don't know that He was asking Him to give up all of His money, but a significant amount for sure. If that hasn't happened to you guys, I want you to think about what you're saying about yourselves. I mean, do you think, because in order, in order for that to be true, then you're saying, I have never, I don't have idols. I don't have things that are, that take number one place in my heart before God. I can't say that. 
So if you are going to say, yeah, I must be an idolater. I know there are things in my life that are number one that, 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 that can creep up. Then that means that you will have to give it up and it's going to be hard. Otherwise, you're, you're lying to yourself. Or, yeah, or you're not admitting the truth about yourself. So Jesus will call you to give up an idol. And it's going to be hard. And my concern is, is that in, here in the church, especially the American church, we're, we're not really repenting of hard things. We want Jesus and whatever else we want. Okay. Observation number five. Last one. Jesus presents himself as the answer to life's big, big questions. Jesus presents himself as the answer to this rich young ruler's problem. What must I do to live a life approved by God? What must I do to be fulfilled in this life and to know I have God's approval? And think about what Jesus says. This is just shocking. He says, you need to give up what's number one in your life. You need to give up what's most important to you and replace it with me. How are you, think about that. He's saying the way that you can be obedient to keeping the commandments, to keeping the first commandment that you should have no other gods before me, is get rid of what's most important and replace it with me. What kind of claim is that? Who claims that? Either Jesus is an egomaniac who should be put in jail, or he's God. And he's the only one worthy of that position in our lives. And that's what he's saying. He said, I am the only one that can fulfill you. You were created for me. You got to make me your greatest possession. Stop doing things that are precious in your own eyes and start doing things that are precious in God's eyes. And that starts by making me your number one possession. Giving your full allegiance to me. Give up your possessions, young man, and come follow me. Now, why should we follow Jesus here? Is there anything that can help us make this radical decision to do things crazy, like cutting things out of our life that, that we've found so important? Like telling our boss we need to work less hours, breaking up with, with a girl, even though we're getting all the benefits that our flesh would want. I mean, those are, those are kind of crazy things. Giving up all your possessions because your identity is in, is in, your, is in your wealth. How do we do that? I remember I was talking, Jamie and I actually helped me with this question. We were talking with a student, and I was talking to her, and I said, Mariah, are you ready to make Jesus your number one possession? And, and Jamie said, well, Mariah, before you make that decision, you need to know that Jesus has already made you his number one possession. He has already made the first move. He has already put it all on the line for you and has declared His love for you. That's what the cross is. The cross is Jesus saying, there is nothing I won't do to get you. There is nothing I won't do to show you how much I love you. There is no pain I won't experience so that you won't be lost anymore. So that you would live for me. Jesus has already made the first move. I mean, why do we like... Our, our love stories in, in the movies and our, our romantic comedies. What is it that we love about them? Is it not when we see that guy who, against all odds, puts it all on the line, declares his intentions and asks the girl out? It, don't we love those stories where the guy just sticks his neck out for her 
and she just has to respond? I do. I love. Why do we love those stories? I think it's so that one day we would look up and see that God's like that. Christ is like that. He made the first move. He stuck his neck out for us before we made any decision right or wrong. He says, I love you. That's what the cross is. But secondly, remember what this man is asking. He's asking, what must I do to live a life that God approves of? And then Jesus, in his final answer, says, okay, if you would be perfect, you need to give up your possessions and follow me. And so I think here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to live a life approved by God, you need a perfect covering. If you want to live a life approved by God, you need to be covered because you're going to fail along the way. You're going to mess up. And so you need to follow me because I'm the only one that shed my blood for you. So you never have to worry ever again what God thinks of you. That as you follow me, you can, you can live out the commandments of God in complete freedom. Those rules, those, those, Ways that God wants us to live are, are just a burden. They're bondage if we're always asking ourselves, I don't know if I'm making it. And Jesus says, follow me because I shed my blood for you and I'm your perfect covering and you will never ever have to worry about what I think of you again. The verdict is, is in. It's different. It's, it's approved. It's loved. And so guys, now God's law becomes a joy. Because something I want to follow, because I don't have any fear of condemnation anymore. We have to follow Jesus to live a life approved by God so we could have that perfect covering. And so that makes me want to live for Jesus. That makes me want to give Him my, my, the, my number one allegiance and, and follow my Savior and not let other things take control of my heart and my life and take away my affections for the God that put everything on the line for me. So Jesus is saying, come follow me. I've made the first move. I've already declared you to be my number one possession. And follow me because I'm your perfect covering. And you can know God and follow God and walk with God in absolute freedom from condemnation. And you will have that deepest question answered in your life. What does God think of me? You will know the questions to that. You will know you are living for the right purpose. No matter what storms come in your life, you will have a, the deepest sense of fulfillment in knowing me and following me. So I need to end the way this, this passage ends, and that's with a warning. See, this young man, he walked away sorrowful. Jesus confronted him with his idol, and he's, he couldn't give it up. And so, guys, don't be like him. My guess is some of you are feeling the heat. And that's the heat of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't dawdle with your idols. Jesus said you got to cut them off or they will get a hold of you and you'll walk away. Don't do that. Give them up today, now. Don't waste another second. Surrender it. Repent of it. Today, right now in your heart. Otherwise, look at this rich young ruler. I don't know what happened to him. And I think it's scary to think about. So guys, it's not something to mess with. 
Now something to take for granted. Today's a day for repentance. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you for your love, your sacrifice, that you make the first move, that we no longer need to stick our neck out for you and wonder what you're going to say in response. But you stuck our neck, your neck out for us and declared your love for us. And now we need to decide. Now we need to look at you and your love and your promises and decide if we're going to surrender it all for you and make you number one in our life, make you our greatest possession. And so, Lord, we thank you for your blood. God, we thank you that we can stand free from condemnation. And I pray you would help all of us repent of those idols that have taken a hold of our life, that we would turn to you and walk with you and experience true life, true fulfillment. And not, and not live out some kind of Christianity that's, that's fake and false, but a life of, of following you and, and, and you promise that we will have eternal life in that. So Lord, I thank you and I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.